Hey there, who wants to be more blessed? I do. This is the Something to Bless podcast. And on this show, we are going to talk all things faith, mindset, and behaviors. If I'm speaking your language, stick around. If we want to be more blessed, we got to give God something to work with. And I'm going to help you to do just that. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's Barbara Gian at barbaragian.com. I hope you're doing great. I have a special surprise for you today. I have my good friend Christelle on the show to talk about her experience in a long marriage that was abusive. And a lot of times when we hear abusive or domestic violence, we think of, I think, and I'm speaking for all of you, but I think this is what we all think. How many times did I say think? That it has to do with physical um, abuse. And that's just not the case. So Christelle was in a long marriage that um, involved a narcissistic husband. It was not easy saying that word. I know that that term narcissistic gets thrown around a lot these days. We hear it quite a bit, at least I do. And so I wanted her to tell her story because, again, I think that many people believe Uh, uh, domestic violence only involves physical abuse. And that's just not true. And when we live in these conditions with any sort of abuse, whether it's verbal, emotional or physical, it is so painful and traumatic. And it's not a life. You really stop living a life of freedom and peace. And it robs you and if you have children, uh, them and it causes so much suffering. And when you're stuck under the same roof as a person who makes conditions a certain way, it can get pretty hopeless. And so she is going to share her story on all of that. And I hope that you will take something from it. As with anything, I just feel like the more awareness that we have about all these different things in life, the better off we are and the better we can help our children or other people um, to support them. And I think I've said enough about that. Okay, let's go ahead and listen in and her information will be found in the show notes. Here is my conversation with my friend Christelle. All right, so here we are with Christelle. And before we get into it, Christelle, just thank you for being here and being willing to share your story because it was, I think, almost two years ago that I heard your story at our networking event and I was instantly connected to you because I share some of the things that, that you shared with us that day about your experience um, in your marriage. And I think it was your youngest son that was with you at the time. Do you remember? Yeah. My, my youngest son was there with me. Absolutely. He was helping out. Yeah. And I thought that was so sweet because he was there helping you with your your business, your gear, what are, you have your mugs and your shirts and different things uh-huh. that you have created, but he hears your story. Yeah. So he's very familiar with, I mean, he lived the life with he's, you, but. Absolutely. He's part of, my boys are part of my story and they have their own too. Yeah, exactly. And that's, so when I heard your story, you know, I had my experience on that end, being a kid living in a, in a home with domestic violence and. So it just really resonated with me and just seeing your son, who is he, how old is, are the boys now? He's 15. At the time he may have been 14. And then my middle son is almost 22. 
And my oldest son is almost 25. So that's right. We talked and our kids are close to the same age. Yes. Yeah. So you gave your story that day and it was, you know, you were leading us into how your business got started. And so you shared your experience. And so I wanted to see if you would just take us through that and, and share that. Um, because I think it's not only powerful, but it's, it's an important topic for people to hear and learn more about and just have awareness of. So thank you for asking me to be here, Barbara. One of the reasons I share my story is because of this. I remember a moment very specifically where I had a thought that there is no way I was created for the life I was living. And at the time, I was living a life of hopelessness, depression, anxiety, could not get out of bed half the time. And I remember having that thought, the thought that there is no way I was created for this. And so I remember thinking, not only was I not created for this, but unless I step out of that, my boys are also living through it. And I was responsible for them getting out of that. And I didn't want my boys to stay in that life, in that lifestyle of unhealthiness. And so that's one of the reasons I share my story. And I also want to give women hope that although once you take that step and leave, it's not easy. It's not like now it's my happily ever after. There are so many steps after that. There's when you leave a life of financial, emo emotional, um, physical, and sexual, spiritual abuse, there's healing that has to take place. There's finances that have to be put in order. There's a plate. Where are you going to live? You know, where where is a mom with children going to go? So it's not like you take that step out and happily ever after. It's it's hard work. Um, but unless we take that step. Unless we're willing to go into the unknown, life will never change for us. And so my hope in sharing my story is that perhaps I can give other women hope because we were not created for a life of abuse. We were not created to stay in complete hopelessness. There's just no way. There's sunshine on the other side. And I know that sounds cliche, but... I knew in that moment that there is no way that the divine that I believe in wholeheartedly puts any woman and me in a situation like that and you're supposed to stay. And let me tell you, Barbara, I, I did all the counseling. I tried all the, I, I had pastoral counseling. I had um, uh, regular counseling and therapy. And I learned over time that my marriage was not going to get going to get better. There, There's a point where we're allowed to say we were not created for this and we can step out. Um, and there's healing on the other side. Um, and since then, since then, I, I have gone through trauma therapy. And I think that's important to note because um, we, we are going to need healing. We are going to need therapy and we're going to need a support network around us. We need to find our best supporters, our best cheerleaders. Um, and then if you have children, we have to be the inspiration behind them, getting whatever kind of help they need. Um, but I remember one thing that I was told at the time was Christelle, because I was so worried about my children and the consequences they would 
uh, reap for the rest of their lives. And I remember being told on several occasions, you first need to heal yourself. And just in healing yourself, your boys are going to be able to take a step forward as well. Um, so that's a big part of of my story and why I share. And I just, my heart is just for the women who are still stuck in those situations and think they have to stay. I was told by many, many people, you need to stay. You need to wait on God. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe God can move mountains, but I also believe there's times where we have to move. We have to take a step out. And sometimes telling a, a woman in an abusive situation, just wait on God, is forcing them to stay in the most destructive um, possible scenario. Um, and so I'm a huge advocate in encouraging women to leave if they can. Um, do what's right for you. What, and I've tried to understand this better since... Mm -hmm. Obviously, when it happened in my family, I was the kid, so I and I was younger. I didn't have just the maturity or the position to have this conversation with my mom. But yeah. trying to understand how women get into these relationships, and then maybe looking back now for you, or just reflecting during that time, how how many years did this go on for? I was in the relationship for more than 20 years. So I met my ex when I was 19 and I met him in Bible college. And so oh how do we get in these relationships? I think that when you're that young and it doesn't matter, I can only speak for myself and having had conversations, but I think I'll stick to stick, uh, speaking for myself. I was 19. I didn't have experience of relationships. And furthermore, I did not have the experience of having lived or been raised in a healthy environment, spiritually, emotionally, financially, um, and even sometimes physically. So I didn't have that. Uh, furthermore, I believe the best in people, at least I did. <laughs> I, I think I have a little bit of wisdom, but... Um, I believed the best in people. And the thing is, Barbara, at the time, I actually, people ask me often, did you have red flags? Well, yes, I did. I had red flags to the point of the dean of students, the dean of women, and the dean of men told me I was in a bad situation. Early in your and relationship. I, in my relationship. I was 19 and I was told this by them. And I was told by fellow Bible college students Um that I might not be in the best relationship, but I believed the best. I didn't, it, it didn't occur to me that, that the life I lived for 20 years was unfathomable to me, if that makes sense. What do you think that they saw as red flags? Um, you know now? I think looking back now, he wasn't faithful to me from the get-go. That's one um, and I think people knew that without actually telling me. For some reason, they didn't want to tell me this. Yeah. But he, I now know he was never faithful to me, not once. Not from the moment I met him was he ever faithful to me. Um, even when we met, he still had at least one other girlfriend. I did not know this. This is common to this kind of relationship, by the way. But this is a life I was unaware of. I didn't know. <laughs> like, like, we grew up watching Disney movies, right? 
We grew up thinking we're going to meet our Prince Charming and you live happily ever after. That was the fantasy world I kind of lived. And, and it was, I also believed that people can change. And I believed that if you're at Bible college, you, you, you're there because you want to go into ministry. And so though I did have red flags, I just wasn't privy to what abuse was. And again, I know this sounds a little bit off because I said, you know, I wasn't raised in the best environment either. So I didn't know what to look for. I didn't know what a healthy relationship look, was to look like. So I had two kind of two things going against me. I, I know now also that abusive people look for people who are going to believe the best in them and who are going to support them and who they can manipulate. Um, so though I was lied to from the beginning, I believed the lies. And it wasn't until maybe 10 years ago that I started finally going, something seems off. And then maybe five years before I finally took this step out forever, that I began to start Googling things like, am I going crazy, which is very common in narcissistically abusive relationships. You think you're going crazy. You're even told you're going crazy. And you're even told by your partner that everyone around them is crazy. If you start asking questions, everyone's crazy. Um, And you believe it. It's It sounds insane, but when you live through this, you truly think you're going crazy and you want to believe your partner. You want to believe that person. So my one of the first things that kind of was a beginning to the end was I literally Googled, am I going crazy? That was the first time I ever found the word narcissist. I had never heard it before, ever. And this is because you knew things weren't right, but you... Because- didn't feel like um, you could really justify everything or there was a line of infidelity there was so many stories that weren't adding up that were leading me to believe that I was either I'm being lied to completely or what I'm seeing is true um there was financial uh, financial things happening that I was being lied about but weren't adding up Um, One example is it was time to buy a new car and suddenly out of nowhere, my ex was telling me, was very angry at me. And this is what he often did Would suddenly he would blow up at me and tell me things like, you're so ungrateful. You're always wanting things you can't have out of nowhere. It was kind of an alert to something's off. We're supposed to be getting a new car. He makes plenty of money. What is going on? But when you're being told you're ungrateful, you're always wanting more, you're selfish, that, that that's a gaslighting technique, by the way. And it makes you go, am I ungrateful? What am I seeing here? This doesn't make sense. And you start questioning yourself. Um, but what, what that actually meant was narcissists give themselves away. They kind of tell themselves by projecting onto you. What that actually meant was he had been spending money and we had no money. And I didn't know this because I never saw his finances. I didn't know until much later. So there was also addiction involved. Um, and it wasn't until I started finding secret um, credit cards that I started finding where all of our money was going. So it was bars. It was liquor stores. It was to other women. It was oh, wow. um, 
And when a narcissist is caught, they will continue to lie and blame you and tell you you're crazy. Again, that's gaslighting. I didn't know this at the time. In the middle, gaslighting, lies, betrayal, all of it has a way of tearing you down. And in the middle of it, I just thought, what in the world is going on? So it was at that point I also started realizing that um, he was an addict. And so mm. it all... A drug addict? Um, in the beginning, it was just alcohol. Um, at the end, there was drugs involved, yes. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to... At least as far as I know. You know what? I'm never going right. to... It's, it's, I can laugh about this now, and I shouldn't, but... If you were ever married to a narcissist and anyone marrying to, married to a narcissist or who has left a narcissistic relation it, re, relationship is going to understand when I say, when you leave the relationship and you start talking about it, most of the time you're going to say, actually, I have no idea who I was married to and I will never actually know the whole truth. So, so there's a lot of things that I will never actually know the whole truth. I only know as much as I was able to figure out and go, wait a minute. I was never told the truth. I was always lied to. There was never a time he was faithful to me. Do you know what I mean? Like right. in the For midst, you, you're trying to protect the person, which is also common in abuse. You finally leave. You finally wake up. You finally get the therapy and you finally go, this is the facts. And actually, I have no idea who I was married to. For 20 years, I have absolutely no idea who I was married to. None. So during the marriage, uh, did you guys ever seek counseling or therapy together? We did. Yes. And he participated? And like, he participated. So this is really a really important thing to talk about. At the time, when we went to therapy, I thought I was doing the right thing. When it comes to abuse, Barbara, you need separate therapy because the abuser is always able to uh, manipulate both the therapist and everyone around him. So in, in the case of abuse and especially narcissistic abuse, um, the person being abused will continue to do what the therapist has suggested. You're talking about open communication, normal talk therapy. Um, in, the, in the situation of abuse, when you do therapy together, it's only used as a tool to further abuse. This is really, really important to know. If a woman is in an abusive situation, she has got to seek help outside of that relationship. She needs therapy outside of that relationship. I didn't know that at the time. And I have since been told also by even my own trauma therapist that you have to have therapy separately because it's going to do no good. Um, an abuser, is, abuser uses it to further abuse. So yes, I did seek therapy. Um, I didn't understand what that meant mm -hmm. at the time with a narcissistically abusive person. That's um, a good point to make about getting it separately if you're in that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I will go so far as to say, I think that every spiritual advisor and pastor should have some sort of therapy in his background so that he understands what abuse looks like yeah. and he's able to understand how important it is to refer outside of themselves. Um, I believe in pastoral help, but I also believe fervently in the importance of therapy, um, and getting guidance in that, in that way as well. Someone who understands trauma, someone who understands, um, abuse 
it's it's a different ball game than we needed, you know, a normal marriage where we have some financial financial problems or um, we are in a a minor disagreement, but we might need to seek outside counseling. This is mm-hmm. this is very different. Yeah, and I want to talk about the term domestic violence because a lot of people only associate that with physical violence. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? I think the tides are turning. I think people are beginning to understand that it doesn't just mean that. I know when I first left, there were stereotypes about what domestic violence should or shouldn't look like. And I would even receive comments like, oh, you don't look like the kind of person that would be abused. You don't act like the kind of person. That's a, such a stereotype. What, what does that even mean? <laughs> What does what does abuse look like? And I think now people realize you don't know. We don't know. You can't look at someone and know whether they're abused or not. Um, I think that we're becoming wiser because there's more education. Um, but I do know that when I left, that that would be that statement you made would be true. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean physical violence. It can it can be very much emotional abuse, being beat down behind closed doors. Um, often, often, often an abusive person portrays themselves as the person who is nice, who is safe, who can be trusted. And they will even use those words in public. I'm a nice guy. I'm the safe, uh, safest person you can know. I'm trustworthy. Um, and especially if someone has to describe themselves that way, that's a huge red flag. You don't have to describe yourself as something you just are. Yeah. You show up as you are. Exactly. Absolutely. So would you say that your main feeling during that time of, of knowing that you probably should leave, but you, you weren't ready to, you weren't ready to make that decision. Was it fear or was it just uncertainty or what, what would you characterize? Why did it I stay? As? Why did I stay? I, in the beginning I stayed because I was raised to, pray for my husband. Um, the What is that book? The Power of a Praying Wife. I prayed that. I prayed that the power of a praying wife. I believed in pray, praying over my marriage. I cannot tell you how many church services I went to and was just praying for my marriage, believing God would come through, believing God would show up, um, seeking counseling and people telling me, just stay, God's going to show up, just have more faith, just trust better. So in the beginning, why did I stay? Because of all those reasons. Um, I also stayed because I had three boys. I live, we live (laughs) in one of the most expensive places that you can possibly live in the United States. Where was I supposed to go? Part of my abuse is extreme financial abuse. Um, I had nothing. all of my finances came from him. Now I did work part-time jobs, but along with the abuse was the addiction. And I had to be the mom that showed up to pick up my boys all the time. I could not allow my ex to ever have my children in the car ever. I had to be there to pick them up. Um, and then I had guilt for my boys. I wanted to be for them, for them anyways, because I saw what was happening in our, in our home. Um, So financially, I couldn't leave. I had nowhere to go. It literally came to that point that I said in the beginning of our interview, I was not created for this, nor were my boys. 
Um, my boys were also older. So my oldest boy had come to me on several occasions and said, mom, we need to leave. Why are we not leaving? So I had that as well. And it came to that. It came to a point where I knew I needed to leave. I had started making steps with uh, bank accounts, opening up a private bank account, trying to set aside money, that kind of thing. Um, but I wasn't going to leave unless I got help. And the final step in being able to even leave was me reaching out to a family member and them saying, yes, you can come live with us. So I took myself and my three boys and this family member came, picked us up, picked up the stuff that I took. And I left with very little. We left with very little. We left with no furniture. We left with just our clothes, pictures and important paperwork. And we never went back. Wow. That was the final leaving. And were all three boys on board with this? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, again, I had two. My children were older. And they had seen everything. They had walked through everything. And my oldest son had come to me again on several occasions and actually educated me on things, certain terms, um, and kept saying, we have to go. The, the addiction had gotten so bad, it was, I, I want to say stinking up the house. <laughs> it was just, it was destroying our house. We could not invite people over. They weren't living a life. Um, people who know about addiction too, you end up staying in your room at all times because of the addict. Um, you can't live a normal life. So they couldn't invite children over. They couldn't invite friends over. Our lives were in our bedrooms, unless occasionally I would take the boys and we would go on little trips here and there. Um, but yeah, so they were on board, a thousand percent on board. And they knew, they knew life was going to change. Um, I don't think they knew the extent of it, but it was worth it for them. Um, I think it's, it's that moment of, I have to leave, but I have no idea what the heck is going to happen on the other side. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm, I don't even know what my goals are for the future. I have no idea. Just walk you're literally, into the you're unknown. literally stepping into the unknown. Yeah. So what was his relationship like with the boys all these years or all those years? Did none. it change from, oh, was it none to begin with? When they were little, he had a bit of a relationship with them. The last many years, um, zero relationship, no relationship. They will say they don't, they had no relationship. Absolutely none. Um, probably, like I said, when they were younger, they probably had a bit of a relationship, but emotional attachment was not there. Um, there was no emotional attachment. It was very surface. And to this day, they don't have a relationship. Um, what what a narcissist says is a relationship and the actual truth are two very different things. There is no emotional attachment. There is no healthy attachment. Um, there's no, as, like if we talk about emotional intelligence, it's just not there. It's not. So my boys would say there's no no relationship at all. Wow. And that's just one of the effects of a situation like this. You were in Washington at the time or when I left, I in was your in marriage. Where did you raise your kids and have your so, family? So, yeah. So 
I met my ex in Bible college in Minnesota. And now I am from San Diego. We moved back to San Diego, raised oh, my you're two from older here. boys. Yeah, I'm from here. Oh, raised okay. my two older boys in San Diego. And then we moved to Portland. So a big part of this was in Portland. The extent of what happened over time all happened at the end, the past 10, 12 years in San Diego. Um, there were a lot of lies that I was not privy to up until that point. Um, and this is common with narcissistic abuse. It, the worst comes at the end. So the worst happened at the end, the most betrayal, the most addiction, the most he, where he could no longer lie and hide things because it was just coming, becoming a giant explosion. I will say that once you get to the point of the giant explosion, it is so tremendously challenging but at the same time if if the one being abused can get to the other side everything will change so you go from devastation i'm not going to lie devastating you get to that point of the addiction's the worst the abuse is the worst the lies are the worst the betrayal is the worst you cannot possibly imagine the hell that an abused abused person lives when it gets to that point but again I'm on the other side. Like I have never been happier, Barbara, like ever in my entire life, I have never been happier. And that's, that's from me now setting boundaries that toxicity is not allowed in my life. And it's because part of being an abused person is you are codependent. You are a people pleaser. Um, and I finally through trauma therapy, through, um, emotional support through reading a million books and educating myself. I am now like, I have the boundaries to where I cannot allow that into my life because my freedom came at such a cost. I will not go back and I won't go back because I can't allow my boys to have to relive through that. And again, they're older, but they've seen what freedom is too. It's amazing. The price of freedom. And once you have it, truly have it, you can, you want for nothing else. I mean, you might, but that alone in itself is so much to be grateful for and just embrace to the fullest. A thousand percent. You know the difference. Oh, a thousand percent. And first comes the freedom from just leaving. Then comes the emotional freedom and the spiritual freedom. And then Learning who you are for the first time. Right. When I first left, I had no idea who I was. I had no idea what I felt. And when people asked me about my feelings, I didn't know. I had been told my entire life how I should feel. So I didn't actually know how I felt. That is so Was crazy. I sad? Yes. Was I angry? I don't even know that I ever allowed myself to get angry because you're not supposed to be angry. That's a sin, you know? The truth is in an abusive relationship, you have to at some point get angry so that you leave and so that you build. Right. That's not to say you hang on to that anger and that bitterness, but it is a tool to uh, get you moving forward. Yeah. Um, but yeah, freedom comes at a cost. And how long has it been now since you've left that marriage? Five years. Oh, five years. Wow. But you've done a lot of work, like you said. You've done a lot of self-work to get to where you are now. And I'm just curious about the boys. Do you mm -hmm. worry about like the long-term impacts that, that that time had on them? 
I worry about the long-term impact because I am a firm advocate in trauma therapy and I am a big advocate in, I hope that they choose to do that. Most people in this world have been through trauma. In fact, I will say every one of us have been through trauma because we just lived through a pandemic. And anytime we turn on the news and see a shooting or a war or anything that we're experiencing, we have all experienced trauma of some sort. So my, my worry, I don't know that I would use the word worry, but I want them to, to be emotionally healthy, healthy and get trauma therapy, but I'm an advocate for everyone to get trauma therapy. I just, it has changed my life so much that, um, I'd love to see everyone have that freedom as well. And so my trauma therapy included EMDR therapy and IFS therapy. And I say that because I'm such an advocate of how life-changing that can be. Um, so as far as worrying about my boys, we have a very open relationship. We talk about everything. Um, and we always have, uh, from the moment we walked away to before to them coming to me and feeling safe enough to come to me and talk about things. Um, we talk about everything, but I, my hope is that eventually they seek therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, well, they're aware of it and that's, that's the important thing. Yeah, absolutely aware of it. And they each have kind of walked their own path of what gives them joy and happiness. And they're working on that. And my boys are very hard workers and they have done things that I can't even imagine at their age. My two oldest boys were living on their own when my middle son was still in high school because they didn't have a choice. They they had to live on their own at that point. My son, my middle son had not even graduated from high school. He was a senior in high school and he was living with my oldest son because he didn't have a choice. Um, and my youngest was living with me, but I've watched them take care of each other and support each other. And that's something like, I think any mom would be proud of. I, yeah, for sure. What I am proud of with them is how they take care of each other and their character. Yeah. I don't care what they choose to do in their life. Mm-hmm. Their character is incredible. Yes, it's who they are as human beings. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So I know that there's happy news, exciting news in your life now, right? <laughs> I want to hear all the juice on that. I know. Okay. So let me tell you, often in abuse, we like to talk about how horrible our life was and we didn't know what we were doing. And because I was abused by a man and actually several men in my life, I want to point out that there have been men who have changed my view on what healthy men can be. And I've actually had many men help me on this journey where we live is because a dear, dear friend have given us a place to live, um, not at San Diego prices. So, so I get to be a, essentially um, single parenting mom, um, not paying San Diego prices because a man stepped up. Nice. And my brother is the one that picked us up from where we were living and allowed us to stay with him. Um, there's two men right there. Um, when I needed to buy a car and couldn't afford one, another gentleman in San Diego offered me his car at an extremely low price. So there's been men along the way. And I want to say that because we have to be so careful. And I have three boys. I have three boys. And I just want to make sure that I always acknowledge that I believe that there are good men out there. Yeah. And I have seen men step up 
Um, but unfortunately, I've had a history of not so good men. So right. um, I like that it hasn't jaded your view of men in general. Absolutely. There are absolutely. many good men out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, am I quicker with any red flags I see? Yes, I am. <laughs> well, you have to, yeah. you know. But you yeah. Um, but I think you're asking about my engagement. I have a fiance. Yes, yes. My fiance, uh, my cute little Brit. How um, did you guys even meet? <laughs> How did we meet? I don't <laughs> want to tell you, Barbara. <gasps> okay, okay. <laughs> no, we, I will. We, <laughs> we were both, we were, I say were, I guess we both are progressive Christian bloggers, writers, and we oh. kind of, we, we, we met online, but because of that community. We were writing nice. about progressive uh, Christian topics and met in the midst of that. And we were just friends and one day decided to talk on the phone and I was not looking for love at all. In fact, I pretty much thought I actually made a list and it wasn't a list of like, he needs to be a, be a certain height and needs to look a certain way. It was a list of my non-negotiables because I had to hold myself accountable because I am, I was a codependent. I'm a recovering codependent. I needed to have a very, very strong, firm list of if it wasn't these things, it's a no-go um, to hold myself accountable. So anyways, we talked on the phone and after the first conversation, I said, what was that? And, <laughs> and <laughs> it was something and he happened to be living in England and I thought that's ridiculous. Yeah. You wouldn't think that would even have a chance at all. No, no, I know. But as we got to know each other and over time we fell in love and we have the things in common that we want to have in common. And he's an incredible human being and he's compassionate. And here we are. I got engaged Christmas Eve of what are we? 2021, I guess. This past Christmas Eve. <laughs> so yeah, about six months ago, right? Yeah, yeah. So what's the plan? Are you are you going to move there or is he going to move here? Eventually, I will move there. Um, I love the idea of an adventure and I love the idea of taking a step out and hopefully maybe my boys will, will be inspired to adventure in their life. <laughs> so um, I will eventually move there, but... Anything is possible. Anything, Anything is possible. I'll right. just say that. Yeah. You've been there a couple of times. I've least, been there right? several. Yeah. Several times. I love, I love the idea of living somewhere where, where you can e easily travel here in America. We're kind of in this, you know, we're in this nation of, we really have to get on a plane and fly far over the ocean. Um, once you're in Europe, you can travel all over, you know, that area quite easily. So I like I like that idea. It's also much more cost effective. Um, they have the NHS, which <laughs> healthcare is great. It's their national healthcare system. They have, oh. I mean, I can't, I can't um, complain about anything. And wow. that's where he lives. So ah, that is so the exciting. plan for now. But you, I mean, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Wait, did we, did we talk about when you're getting married? We're getting married in September. This year? This year. Oh my goodness. And where is that going to happen? San Diego. We're getting married in San Diego. And that is so exciting. We'll have, we'll actually be officially married in San Diego in September, but we'll do a second wedding so that all the 
all our British friends and family can also attend. Right. So we'll do that in March. Oh my gosh. And the boys, they like him. Yes, they like him. Absolutely. And from the beginning, Brandon was the one telling me he likes you, mom. And I'm like, huh? I don't know. I didn't know. (laughs) I didn't even know how to date. Let alone. I don't even know what flirting looks like anymore. I don't know know what flirting is. I don't know what. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Okay. So with all of your experience, it it encouraged you to do a few things. I know that you have several shows that you do, right? Mm-hmm. You have a live show and you have a po- another podcast that you do with a group of others, I think. And tell me about what you, what you do. Yes. So I do. Absolutely. So I have a couple of things that I do. One is I do a live show specifically with women and women who are just able to encourage each other. And the kinds of questions I ask are, what sets your soul on fire? What is your passion? What makes you come alive? What is hope? Who is God to you? I like those kind of questions because it inspires other women. And I have heard the most inspiring stories on my show. So I, I mostly interview women on my own show. Um, my own brand is one, the clothing line and um, mugs and that kind of thing. Um, but it's also, I'm now venturing into workshops and retreats, which by the way, so excited. So Christelle actually reached (laughs) out about, I don't know, three or four weeks ago and Uh asked me to be a speaker at your, your event. It's the, I am power. Is it, I am powerful or I am power. I am powerful. Um, let's see, it's time to play. I am powerful retreat online retreat. So it's. Um, It's time to play because that's kind of the theme of my life right now. It's time to to reconnect with our inner child and bring back that whimsy and that wonder and that playful spirit. It's so healing. And um, can I tell you a really quick story of where this came from? Yes, please. Okay. So once upon a time, still living back in the old home, I had a dream and this is going to sound crazy, but I just have to tell you this. I had a dream that I was able to ask God five questions. And one of the questions I was able to ask God was, how will heaven come to earth? Or when will heaven come to earth? And I heard in my spirit, it wasn't audible. It was just this thing in my spirit that when you become like little children. And I woke up from that dream going, what does that mean? And I have pondered it for years since, but I think a lot of it has to do with the whimsy and wonder of childhood and recapturing that play that we once had and that innocence and that that life of of, uh, peace and, and joy. And so my theme right now is it's time to play. And so I'm starting a lot of workshops that are it's time to play. And then a second part, which is what you're part of, is it's time to play, but because you do so many affirmations and I know what you do as well, Barbara, I am powerful and I'm hoping to capture the attention of women who either one, know somebody who needs to hear that message or two, needs to hear that message because every single day for about five years, I had a friend in my life who reminded me that I'm powerful even when I didn't believe it, but it still was a tiny little seed in my head. And so we just need to be reminded that we're powerful. So we're in this online retreat that you're part of. We're doing um, a breathing workshop, breathwork workshop, because that was one of my healing tools um, on my path and my healing journey. The affirmation workshop that you're doing, play an affirmation workshop. 
and then a, a creative meditation workshop because it's it's coloring and again how can we be creative and um, all the things calm our spirit and all of that so that's the first workshop that I'm doing and then next month I'm doing a, it's time to play play-doh workshop for women so oh how fun <laughs> do you have the date on that one yet that's July 25th it's a Monday night and this is virtual it's virtual yeah eventually I want to be in person but right now yeah. it's virtual so this is my this is all part of my brand I'm working on my art therapy life coaching certificate. I'm in the midst of that because art therapy has been such a powerful tool for me. Um, kind of by accident along the way, doodling and art and music and all of that. So I'm bringing this into my brand as well. That's amazing. I love this. And what is the name of your brand again? It's just my name, Christelle Loren. So I people thought- can find me at christellelloren.com. And that's where you can find my clothing line, which encourages, hopefully, reminds us of our inner um, lovable beast. <laughs> and yes, um, it's no, there's also- a, a, a brand. I thought you have a um, badass beast. Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> Am I saying it right? It's the badass lovable beast. Which badass created- lovable beast. Yes, that was created by a former coworker um, who was who does designs and. She actually came up with it and it quite beautifully captures my brand, Badass Lovable Beast. That's the clothing line. That's the mugs. That's all of that. And then basically my entire brand is you are powerful. You're a badass beast. You are, Mm -hmm. but you're also love. And um, if I can give the tools to help women in any way, shape or form, um, listen, you aren't in an abusive relationship and suddenly bam, you're healed. There's little tiny steps along the way, whether it's in the midst, you go to a breathwork class that allows you to um, rest and be restored for even five minutes or an art class in the midst, or you finally leave and you don't know how to quite express yourself yet or talk about your feelings. So you do finger painting or there's these little steps along the way. And I just want to kind of open up my brand to giving snippets of those tools yeah. So. And we'll definitely put your information in the show notes so people can connect with you if they want to. And I think that the important thing for people is to just make that decision, get to that point where they actually make a decision that they want a change and then baby steps, right? One thing at a time. And it is a process. Nothing's ever overnight. It's it's a journey. It's a journey. And since leaving, I I now have so many resources that yeah. I can refer at the when I left I had zero resources. I had no clue. But there's education now and there's resources now. Um I would say we need more places for women to, and children to go, but there yeah. are resources now and I can refer people to resources. Um that's it's amazing. out there. They're available. And that's comforting just knowing that. That's reassuring. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to share or leave us with before we go? I will say this. I speak specifically to women because that's the story I know. And I speak specifically to women who are in hopeless situations, seemingly hopeless situations. You are more powerful than you know, and there is hope. And there is help. Reach out to someone you can trust. Um, And just know there is light at the other end. You were not created for a life of hopelessness. 
you were created for hope. Amen to that. And Christelle can be that person that if you feel like you have nobody in the world, you know, she can be a resource to just reach out to. Absolutely. So thank you, my friend. I love you. And I'm excited about uh, our your upcoming workshop that I get to be a part of. I'm super excited. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Barbara. Hold up. Wait a minute. If you are ready to go from confusion and uncertainty to clarity and confidence, then you just might be the perfect fit for my mentorship. Learn more about my transformational coaching program by heading over to barbaragian.com and book your free call today. Nothing changes if nothing changes, people. See you over there.